Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for today's podcast. Today we present the third message in our series, The End Times. Lead Pastor David Fossil helps us get the big picture as he gives us a summary of that period of history and reminds us that it's all about Jesus. Here now is Pastor Dave. and grab your study guide that's in your program. Turn to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Music video we just watched is by an alternative rock band called Muse. They're not a Christian man, they're a secular man. The song is entitled Apocalypse Please. And as I started to do a little reading about this band and about this particular song, I was very interested to, to read what the, the drummer for the band Muse, his name is Dominic Howard, said about this song. He said it's a very theatrical song about religious fanatics and their wish that their prophecies in the Bible come true. And then he said this, so that they can confirm their religion. In other words, so he looks at us, religious quote fanatics, and he says, you know, it sure seems like a lot of them want all the really bad, really awful Bible prophecies speaking of the end times to come true. Because then we can go to our co-workers and our family members and our neighbors that didn't believe in God and we can say, see, I told you so. Now let's just take a step back. I sure hope that's not our motivation. I really hope it's not. We're studying the end times and we're studying Bible prophecy and the Bible tells us that we should have two primary motivations for doing that. Number one, the big one is to get ready, to get prepared. That's the primary reason. And there are all kinds of different angles and ways that we can get ready and get prepared for the end times. The second motivator is that we can take what we've learned. And when we do get into conversations with loved ones, family members, co-workers, neighbors that don't follow or believe in God, we can take what we know and try and use it to encourage them and to challenge them to consider becoming Christ followers. That's why we're studying this. If you're just joining us, we're in week three of a series on the end times. Now, if you look at your study guide, what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to start by giving you a general overview of the timeline that's going to take us through the end times. Sometimes, one of the mistakes I think that we make studying the end times is we look at the end times through a microscope. We look at one event through a microscope and we understand that one event really, really well, but we don't understand how it fits in into the big picture. And if you understand the big picture, everything starts to make sense a little bit better. So I'm going to go through this with you. I think it'll be helpful. If you're jotting down notes, first thing you need to write down is that we are in what a lot of writers call the church age. The church age is introduced by the person of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Then the church is birthed in Acts chapter 2, and the Bible considers the age that we're in, the last period, the last age, before the end time. So you've got the church age. Immediately after the church age comes the appearance of the Antichrist. Now last week, we spent pretty much the entire study looking at the Antichrist. We looked at Daniel and how he came to power. We looked at Revelation 13, his agenda when he comes to power, uh, his, his desire to bring about one world government, one world economy, one world religion. If you weren't here, you want to listen to the podcast, very interesting geopolitical things going on, historical things going on right now in Europe that are very interesting in terms of potentially setting the stage 
for the Antichrist coming on the scene. Now, just one very important review and summary of the Antichrist. So many times movies in Hollywood portray the Antichrist as someone with horns and really evil and bad. That is the farthest thing from the truth. The Bible tells us that the Antichrist will be the single most popular diplomat and politician ever to step foot on the earth. That's why he will be able to rally all the nations behind him into forming one world government. Incredibly popular individual until at some point in time his true colors come out and he becomes to, begins to attack and he begins to persecute Christ followers. Now, the Antichrist and the culmination of his leadership and political rule will, will happen in what is known in the Bible as the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is incredibly complicated to understand at times. In fact, Revelation chapter 6 all the way through Revelation chapter 16 is the story of the tribulation. Now, a couple things that you need to understand about the tribulation. The Bible says that it will be a a, a seven-year intense period of suffering. Now, do we know if the seven years are exact or it's figurative? I don't know. But seven years of intense suffering and persecution like this earth has never seen before. Now, a couple clarifications and, and things that we need to understand. First of all, when God allows the most awful time of tribulation, suffering, and persecution ever to come on the face of the earth, you need to know this. It's not because God is mad at the world. It's not because he's ticked off and is trying to give everybody a spanking before he sends his son back, Okay. What we read about the tribulation is that his primary motive, even in this period, the primary reason why he allows this or makes this happen is he's trying to shake people up and wake them up and say, there's still time to come to me. That's what's happening in the tribulation. It's the last thing that's really happening just before the culmination of Jesus Christ coming back. Now, another thing about the tribulation is this. There is some debate and disagreement amongst Christians as to whether... God's people have to go through this time. There's three positions. Now, just like last week, I'm, I'm going to treat you like basically college students and ask you to really focus because it gets tricky and complicated. The first position is that God will take his people out of the earth before the great tribulation happens. And we will not have to go through that. Everyone else will, but God's people won't have to. Now, if you hold to that position... That's what's normally called the rapture. If you've ever heard that term, it refers to people who hold to this position. The God's people get raptured out of earth, okay, until the the final time when he comes back. Very good, very godly, very smart people hold to this position. However, there are other people that hold to another position, that we will have to go through the entire tribulation, as God's people, that God has never spared his people from suffering. In fact, God's people have typically had to go through more suffering than anyone else. I happen to hold to that position. I think we will have to go through the entire tribulation. Now, let me just say this. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the other ones, the rapture ones, are right. I don't think they are, but, uh, you know, in in humility, you just basically have to say, I'm not sure. And then there's one that's right in the middle. It's kind of a, 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 you know, they say, you know, it's a combination of both. God will make us go through half of it, take us out, and then the other half will happen. Okay? Now, a, a, couple, th- a couple of you came up to me and said, oh, when are you going to get into the tribulation and when we have to go through? I'm not. I've got about 60 seconds left of it, and then I'm moving on. I'm going to tell you why. 
there is no applicational value in getting into the debate. None whatsoever. Bottom line, whatever position you hold to, you better be ready. You better be ready, okay? Now, let me just, last thing I'm going to say about this. If you want to get into it and study it and all that, that's great. But two things before you really come down hard on one position, whatever you believe. One is be ready to do some serious Bible study. Pick up a good study Bible, pick up some books on it and read and study it. It's very interesting. It's very beneficial for you to learn that if that's what you want to do. But do some serious Bible study. The second thing is this. Whatever position you land on, be willing to have some humility about your position. Be humble about your position. Hold it loosely. Anyone who tells you that they know exactly what, how, and when the Great Tribulation is going gonna, is gonna to happen and whether we are going to go through it or not is spiritually and biblically arrogant. Don't be that way. Hold to your position. Hold to it firmly, but, but, but be humble because, like I said, there are smarter people than all any one of us here today that hold to any one of those positions that we don't agree on. But it's basically, as Christian, we say it's going to happen. We're not exactly sure we have to go through it or not. Okay, and, and so, so that's what you have to do. Now, if you're taking notes, next thing you need to write down, you have the, the church age, you have the rise of the Antichrist, the culmination is the great tribulation. The next thing is write down Armageddon. Armageddon is the next thing that the Bible says is going to happen. Now, that's a word that's thrown around quite a bit. And some of us, our opinion of what Armageddon is or is not, unfortunately, is based upon pop culture. And like I mentioned last week, what Hollywood tells us. Do you guys remember this movie a couple years ago, a while back, about 10 years ago, called Armageddon? Okay, about a decade ago. In fact, it was on TBS or TNT last night. Okay, it's actually a very entertaining film. It's a story about an asteroid the size of Texas that's heading towards the, our planet Earth. And, and, and NASA has, has informed the president, and we've told the world that the minute it hits our planet, it will annihilate mankind and our planet as we know it. Everyone's going to die, right? Everything's coming to an end, so what are we going to do? What we call Bruce Willis. That's what you do when you have those kind of problems, right? And he solves the problem if life were only that easy. The problem is, the Bible, when it speaks of Armageddon, says nothing of asteroids hitting the earth. Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, says, They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world. Now stop right there. You remember I told you that the Antichrist will rally one world government. So it's not going to be that hard to get all the kings of the world together. They're already working in cooperation as political and economic allies. So they're going to all come together, okay? It says to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty, Armageddon is described in the Bible as one military campaign culminating in one major battle. It's a war. Uh, the, the, the earth will have lived for a good amount of time without because of the leadership of the Antichrist, but there will be one primary military campaign at the end, and it says at the end in verse 16, then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, Armageddon, according to Revelation is the ultimate battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, between the Antichrist and Christians, and listen carefully, between the world and the state of Israel. Some of you, I slipped it in last week very slyly, and you came up to me afterwards, and we talked about it a little bit. You do know 
that the state of Israel, the country of Israel, right now, politically, only really has one true ally and friend. The United States of America. You might put Great Britain in there, but basically the United States of America is it. We're the only country that stands by them time and time and time again. Europe and, of course, the Middle East and pretty much South America are not for the state of Israel. Okay? It's just one president, one Congress away from turning our backs on them, and it's just setting the stage for what Armageddon has already prophesied is going to happen. The other thing you should know about Armageddon is that you see how at the end there it says, they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. That is a literal Hebrew word. And the first part of the word literally means hills or mountains. The second part of the word refers to an actual location today in northern Palestine called Megiddo. There it is right there, the Valley of Megiddo. The Valley of Megiddo is one of the places, when you read of the, in the Old Testament, some of the primary and major battles that occurred in the Old Testament happened right there. The Bible seems to suggest, again, is it literal or not? We're not sure, but it sure seems to suggest and make sense that that last final battle between the world forces and the state of Israel will come to a head and culmination right there. Just for interest's sake, the land that you now see on the screen is some of the most hotly contested piece of land in the world right now. Israel and the armed forces of Israel and the Palestinian people fight over that right now and have skirmishes constantly right now. That's what the Bible says of Armageddon. Now, it's going to look like Israel is about ready to cave in and the world army forces are about ready to destroy them. And right at the very end comes the next thing, according to the Bible, that will happen, and that will be the return of Jesus Christ. Right at the end. Now, week one, I spent the entire week talking to you about Matthew and, 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 and Mark and what it says and the signs that are going to happen. And we already talked about some of them and what's going to happen in the sky and Antichrist and tribulation. He comes back is right now is what happens. Okay, now... Here comes the tricky part. If you have your Bibles open, Revelation chapter 20, the next major thing that happens is what is referred to in the Bible as the millennium. The millennium, or the thousand-year reign of Christ. I do not have the verses on the screen, so you're going to have to either listen carefully or follow along in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, are the only verses in the entire Bible where this is mentioned And it it is hotly contested and debated amongst Christians in terms of exactly what is happening here. Let's read through some of it. I saw an angel, verse 1, coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into an abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Now, real quick... One of the first features of the thousand-year reign of Christ is this. Right now, the Bible tells us that he is reigning in heaven. He sits on his throne in heaven. The millennium, according to Revelation 20, is a time when he doesn't sit on the throne in heaven anymore. Oh, no, no. He comes to earth, and he literally sits on earth. I don't know if it's going to be Buckingham Palace or the White House or where it's going to be, or he's going to set his own thing up. He's going to set himself up as the king, the ruler of the entire earth. And as he does that, what these verses say is one of the first things he's going to do is he's going to bind Satan. He's going to tie him up and put him in prison and put him in a pit. Now, here come some of the complicated things. 
there are some Christians that believe that the millennium is happening right now. Right now. My wife Sandy grew up in a denomination called the CRC, the Christian Reformed Church. And they believe it's happening right now. Presbyterians believe it's happening right now. Now, we tend to say respectfully, I don't, we don't think so. Why? Because it says in verse 2 and 3 that Satan is bound, that he's tied up, that he doesn't have the ability to deceive the nations anymore. And so we would look at it and tend to say, boy, it sure looks like he's getting his way most of the time. It sure looks like he's still deceiving people and still deceiving nations. Now, again, let me just say, I respectfully disagree with people who would hold to a different position. We still fall into the you know, big box of being God's people, but there's some disagreement here. Let's keep reading verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads and hands, and they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years Okay, so the millennium is Jesus coming to earth. He sets up his earthly kingdom, Satan is bound, and he reigns for 1,000 years with his people. The culmination of the millennium is the judgment. It's the judgment. Look at verse 7 through 10. 7 through 10. When the 1,000 years are over, Satan will be released from prison. He will go out and deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Here's one of the strangest things about the end after the millennium. Satan is bound during the millennium. Right after the millennium, he is released. And it says that he will go to the nations and deceive them. The strangest thing, because if we have just lived 1,000 years as, with Christ as king, we have just experienced the best that earth has to, has to offer under the leadership of Jesus Christ. It is so incredibly strange that Satan still would have the ability to go and deceive people, draw them to himself, and come with a battle against God. Which tends to cause many of us to think that the reason so much of the world doesn't believe and follow God is not because Satan is tricking them. It's because of our sinful nature that lives and dwells within us. He gathers everybody, verse 9. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I want you to see the title or the caption just before verse 11. You see it there? The dead are judged. What I want to do is I want to spend the last 10 minutes reviewing with you what this judgment is going to be. You see on the screen the summary of the end times. We live in the church age. The Antichrist is introduced. He leads us into the great tribulation, which culminates in Armageddon. Christ returns. He sets up his 1,000-year reign, and then judgment a cause. One of the biggest misunderstandings in the church about judgment is the assumption that if you're okay with God, if you're okay with Jesus, if you're a Christian, you, we, won't be judged. That could be the farthest thing from the truth. The Bible says everyone will be judged. The question is, which judgment will you face? On the back side of your study guide, there's two judgments that I want to talk to you about. The first one is referred to as the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. This judgment is described in Revelation 20, verse 11. You can follow on the screen or in your Bibles. It says this, then, John says, I saw a great white throne. 
And him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The dead and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now you'll see on the screen, I've tried by underlining and bolding to summarize for you what the great white throne judgment is. The great white throne judgment, according to the Bible, is reserved for everyone who was not found in the book of life. This is a document that is referred to throughout the Bible, some sort of something that when you accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord, your name gets recorded, okay? I'm sure by now they have it all computerized, but they basically have some sort of system to figure out if you're in or you're not in. If your name is not in the system, if it is not in the book of life, you are going to face the great white throne judgment and face Jesus, And you will be asked one and only one question. What did you do with the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Now you will be asked that even though Jesus and God already knows the answer to it. That's why you're in that line. Paul says in the book of Philippians that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's interesting when you read that passage because the issue is not will you confess Jesus is Lord? The only question is when will you? Will you do it because you believe it to be true? Will you do it in response to the the cross of Jesus Christ? Or will you do it at the great white throne judgment when you are forced to do it? The Bible tells us, and it's awful, that those who face um, God at the great white throne judgment will be, you see it at the end there, will be thrown into the lake of fire. By the way, Jesus says in the Gospels that that place will be more populated than heaven. He talks about the narrow road and the wide road. And there's not a lot of people on the narrow road. There's not a lot of people that are going in the right direction. There are not a lot of people that are walking with God and with Jesus. Who who are going to face this judgment? There's at least four categories of people. The procrastinator. The procrastinator is the person that says, you know what? I'll I'll do this Jesus thing next week. I'll, I'll embrace him next week. You know what, if I just had a little more information, if I just had answer to this one question, then, then then I'll do it, right? The procrastinator. Um, I'm all for information, and I know that there are periods when you're searching, but can I just say this to you? Sometimes you just have to bite the bullet. Sometimes you just have to say, you know what, I'm not going to get all the answers to all my questions, but I know enough to know what I know about Jesus, just to even everything up. The church member is going to be there. You go, what? The church member is going to be there. These are people that have more church in them than Jesus in them. These are people that depend on baptism and tithing and serving. And I'm a good person. And assume that if you're all those things, you're going to be okay. The Bible says that's not enough. Those all things are good. But what matters the most is the condition of your heart. Have you given yourself to Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone? In faith, because what Jesus did for you, you gain access to heaven and to God. Not because of who you are and how cool you are. One of the the passages that is most bothersome to me 
is Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that there will be a ton of church members that face the great white throne judgment. For years, they were able to come to church week in and week out and trick everybody at church and trick the pastor and trick their small group community groups and trick the the, the youth group they were a part of. They were able to trick even themselves. They were self-diluted into thinking, I'm okay and I'm fine. They believed all the right things. They said all the right things. They even did some of the right things. But bottom line is that their heart, they had never turned it over to Jesus. They'd never in a simple faith say, I believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm not perfect. I still mess up. I believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that penalty, and that penalty alone gains me access to Jesus. Gains me access to God. It bothers me to no end. Because it tells us that we will be surprised beyond belief, the people that are in this line. The next group is the prideful. This is the person that says, well, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm so much better than my coworker and my classmate. You should, if you ever met them, you know what I'm talking about, Pastor. I'm better than Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm better than Adolf Hitler. I'm so much better than all these other people. I'm a, I'll be fine. Or they're prideful, not in their goodness. They're prideful in their knowledge. Or they're prideful in their self-abilities and say, I don't really need God. They're going to be in that line. And the last group is the cowards. I asked my kids, is there another word for coward? It sounds so abrasive. Jessica said, wuss. (laughs) I hate to say it, but some, we just got to. It doesn't matter what your family says at some point. It doesn't matter what your friends say at, at some point. It doesn't matter what your coworkers say at some point. At some point, you have to make a decision. Do I have the courage to stand for Jesus, yes or no? You sang it just about 20 minutes ago. I will stand for Jesus. This is the time I will stand for him. These people will be in that line. Not because they're bad people, but because they've never given up their hearts to Jesus Christ. But that's not the only judgment. Not only do you have the great white throne judgment, you have another judgment, if you're taking notes, called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is spoken of by the Apostle Paul in a couple of his letters to the Corinthians. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, the reason I gave you a picture of an archaeological dig right now in Israel is because what you see in front of you is literally a judgment seat. The the phrase judgment seat is a Greek word, literal word called bema, B-E-M-A. And they had these bemas in the center of town. And what would happen is if you got caught speeding and you were, gonna, you were given a ticket, you would have to go to the Bema, the judgment seat. They would write you a ticket and say, this is how much you've got to pay. On the, on the flip side, if you won a race or if you were given an award for citizen of the year or teacher of the year, whatever, you would likewise go to the judgment seat Bema and they would give you a prize. Either way, you would go to the Bema judgment seat to receive good and bad what you what, what you'd live for. That's what you would do. You would go to this place. You say, well, what is going to be judged? Everything. Did you know the Bible says that every single one of your words is going to be judged? Every single one. All those mead words you just spoke this last week, it, every single word is going to be judged. By the way, that's why it says in the book of James, 
that preachers, pastors, are going to be judged more severely than people who aren't preachers. So don't get in line behind me because they've got all my sermons. They're going to go through every single word of every single sermon. Because every word is going to be judged. Every action is going to be judged. Every motive for every action is going to be judged. What you did with your money is going to be judged. It's literally going to be an audit. They are going to pull out the the bank accounts. They are going to pull out the checkbook. They're going to say, what did you do with your money? What did you do? What did you invest in? We're all into investment and what the stock market is doing and what the real estate market is doing. I'm telling you, there's one stock that's going to give you a massive return, and that's in heaven. That's the kingdom. He wants to know, what did you do? What did you do with your time? I, I, you know what? I think it's so interesting. I normally bite my tongue when I have people come to me and go, well, pastor, I just don't have the time. I don't have the time to be in a community group. I don't have time to serve. I don't really have time to read my Bible. But you have time to do like 5,000 texts? I never figure, I look at my kids' amount of texts. I'm like, how, are you like texting in your sleep or something? What is going on here? You have time, guys, we have time for fantasy football, don't we? Oh, yeah, we're going to research and study our lineups and work hours on fantasy football. Ladies, you have time for stamping. We all have time for three hours of TV a night. You have time. You're not going to make it in the kingdom, my friend. That phone's going off. I'm just telling you right now. You better tell them to get in church. We have time for what we want to make time. Don't we? He's going to go, he's going to go through your Blackberry. He's going to go through your calendar book. And he's going to go, Whoa, what, what? He's just going to ask you. Is there another phone going off? That's the second phone I hear going off. This third service, not you. No, that's not me. <laughs> you are going to face the judgment seat. I'm telling you right now, your phone going off. <laughs> okay. You know? Okay, why? You know, let's look at this next verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. In other words, we're going to, you know, what you did is going to be checked out. And this is this, because the day, look at capital D, that's the judgment day, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. Now, this is very interesting, that phrase that what you and I do will be brought to light. Think about this for a moment. Is it going to be brought to light for you and your benefit? Well, no, you already know what you did, right? It doesn't have to be brought to light for, I, I already know what I did. You already knew what you did. Is it going to be brought to light for Jesus' sake? He didn't know what you did. Well, no, he already knows what you've done. Jesus already knows what you did. I already know what I did. Who is it going to be brought to light for? The rest of us. We all get to see what everyone else has done. I I want you to imagine. I don't know exactly how this is going to work. I want you to imagine. We're in a massive stadium. Millions of Christians are there, right? In the center of the stadium, there's a tent with a conference table in the the inside. And and when your name is called, you have to go down and you meet with Jesus, right? So I just want you to imagine that Bay Hills has got their section. We all got our section. We're, you know, eating churros and everything right there while we're waiting, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, please... Could I have Terrence Green, student pastor for Bay Hills Community Church, right? And his name comes up on the jumbotron, right? And we're like, you go, T, you're, you demand, right? He goes down to the tent, right? He goes inside the tent, and he sits down at the conference table. But here's the thing. As he's having conversations with Jesus, everything he's done 
begins to get flashed up onto the jumbotron. So we see things like this. It comes up on the screen. When his mama wasn't looking, there were times he'd take money out of his purse. (laughs) See, now that's not right. It's not right for him to do that. Then this comes up on the screen, the next one. When Pastor Dave beats him at pool, basketball, fantasy football, ping pong, occasionally he says bad words. Now, just a couple things about this. Notice it says dot, 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 which means I beat him at many more things. I just was trying to give you an idea. But then it says, he says bad words. See, now that's not right for a student pastor to be saying bad words and cussing, right? And then this comes up on the screen, right? At home, his wife Becca wears the pants, and he wears a skirt, literally. See, now that's, that's an image I'm going to have trouble getting out of my mind, right? Is there anything else that's going to come up on the screen? No, thank goodness, right? Now, some of us are thinking, oh, this doesn't sound good. You mean my stuff is going to come up on the jumbotron as well? See, here, we get all messed up here. We think that the judgment seat of Christ is all about us and about how we're going to feel, and about what we're going to go through. Yes, everything's going to come to light. Everything's going to come to light. Everyone's going to know what everyone has done. But see, it's not really about you. It's really not about you. Even at that moment, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when all of Terrence's garbage comes up on the screen, when all of your sin comes up on the screen, when all of my filth comes up on the screen, right after it comes up on the screen, there's going to be a big stamp that says, paid in full. There's going to be another stamp that says, washed by the blood of Jesus. There's going to be no condemnation, no shame, because you are in Christ Jesus. Is that good news? That's good news, because when Terrence comes out of the tent, he's not going to walk out with his head down high, all ashamed of what he's done. He's going to put his arms in the air, and we're not going to cheer him. Who are we going to cheer? We're going to cheer Jesus, because Jesus took care of all his garbage, and all your garbage, and all my garbage. In the end, in the judgment seat of Christ, it's still about Jesus, not about me. And that's good news. There's one more thing I need to share with you about this judgment seat. Matthew chapter 6 verse 20 says this. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. One of the misunderstandings about heaven is that everyone is equal. The Bible never says that. The Bible says there will be rewards There will be different levels of rewards for people. Now, you get to be there if you've embraced Christ as your Savior, but there are rewards based upon how you lived your life. See, you know, I was messing with Terrence and put all that stuff on the screen. I thought it was interesting after the first service. He never denied any of those things, but I was just messing with him, right? Can I just say this, though? It's not only the garbage that's going to go up on the jumbotron. It's all the good stuff you've done that no one ever knew about. I want you to think about that. Every time you've helped a kid that needed help. Every time you've helped an elderly parent when no one else will help. Every time you've given money to someone and say, here, let me just help you. Every time someone was hurting and you put your arm around them. Every time at work and at school and at home you did something because it was the right thing to do, even though no one saw you and no one thanked you. Not only does that get put on the jumbotron, 
And oh, by the way, it has nothing to do with, you know, if you're a pastor or you're a missionary, you're going to get tons of rewards. I think there's going to be some stay-at-home moms and some plumbers that are going to get more rewards than some pastors. Because it has nothing to do with your career choice. It has everything to do with your heart and what you did with what God gave you. That you're going to get rewarded for everything you've done. All the good stuff no one ever saw, and you did it anyway. Why does God tell us this? Honestly, as a motivator, you can avoid the great white throne judgment in about three minutes because I'm going to give you an opportunity to embrace Christ today. And I don't want you to do it just to avoid the judgment. I want you to do it because you sense God drawing you to that. But this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, you can do nothing about that right here this morning. It starts when you leave this door based upon how you talk to your spouse and how you treat your children and what you do when you go to work and how you handle yourself when, you, when no one's watching or when you go to school, that's what the, the, the rewards are going to be based on. And I, honestly, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know if you get a faster car, bigger house, better meal plan. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to take God at his word that he's going to reward you based upon how you live your life. So live for him. You see, the conclusion of all of this is just twofold. Either accept him or live for him. Accept him as your savior and avoid that great white throne judgment and live for him so that when you and I face him at the judgment seat of Christ, you and I are rewarded for our actions. Make no mistake about it, this word judgment, not a fun word. In our culture, it's used kind of in a derogatory term. Don't judge me. Who are you lest you be judged and all that? You know what? He's the creator of the universe. If there's anyone that has the right to judge, it's him. So get ready. Let's close in a word of prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I told you that I wanted to give those of you who want an opportunity to embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord if you've never done that. If you've never done that, I'm not going to lead you through a prayer this morning. Sometimes I do that. I want you in your own words to say yes to Jesus. Tell him you believe in the cross. Tell him you believe in Jesus. Tell him you want Jesus in your life. Do it now. Do it in your own words. I'm going to give you a couple moments. Dear Heavenly Father, when we talk about the end times and Bible prophecy, we will admit that sometimes we get caught up in all the craziness of antichrist and wars and this and that, and we fail to spend time thinking about what you have very clearly explained to us, like judgment. We fail to take time to reflect that you're going to open the book with my name on it you're going to open the, the book and the computer files with everyone's name on it here and, and you're going to go through our entire life. Conversations we had, things we said that were hurtful, actions we took, good and bad are going to come to light. And Father, we, we just don't even spend enough time thinking about that. But Father, we're going to today and we're going to leave here 
reminded that you reward us based upon our behavior. We get to enjoy heaven, which is going to be far greater than any of us could ever imagine. But when we get there, somehow or another, you are going to award, gift, reward, put your arm around, do something for those who have faithfully served you, especially those who have served you behind the scenes when no one saw and no one thanked them and no one knew and they kept doing it anyway because it was the right thing to do. Father, I pray that what we've learned today would be a motivator not only for us to be prepared, but we would use it as motivation to share with those we sincerely care about that have not embraced you yet. Give us the opportunity to do that this week through conversation or through action. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.